This is an Area Code podcast. Approval. Resolution for Lulu Bell and Scotty Wiseman. Upon a recommendation of the Road Naming Committee, a motion was made by Board Member Lakey and seconded by Board Member Cowell to approve the following. Whereas Myrtle Lulu Bell Cooper was born December 24, 1913 in Boone, North Carolina, and whereas Scotty Wiseman was born November 8, 1909 in Ingalls, North Carolina, and whereas both Lulu Bell and Scotty were established musicians who were paired by Red Foley in the 1930s to perform on the National Barn Dance, the most popular folk and country music radio show at the time, and whereas Lulu Bell and Scotty Wiseman married in 1934 and became the country's leading husband and wife team entertaining people the world over with their charm, music, and personalities, And whereas Lulu Bell and Scotty Wiseman were known as the sweethearts of country music and performed until their retirement in 1958 when they moved back to North Carolina, and whereas the Avery County Board of Commissioners requested the North Carolina Department of Transportation honor Lulu Bell and Scotty Wiseman, now therefore be it resolved that the North Carolina Board of Transportation dedicates North Carolina 194 from US 221 to US 19E in Avery County as the Lulu Bell and Scotty Wiseman Highway for their outstanding contributions to the field of country music, that appropriate signs be erected at a suitable time. Adopted this third day of August 2006 by the North Carolina Board of Transport. As a North Carolina resident, I appreciate this resolution. I haven't made the three-hour drive yet from my home in Durham to see if they ever found time to erect the suitable signs, but I bet they're there. Maybe one day I'll make the drive. Maybe I'll also exercise my power as a North Carolinian to make a formal petition that the record be corrected. It wasn't Red Foley who paired the two, but John Lair. But of course I won't do that. John Lair gets enough glory. Let's let Red have this one. Uh, Thanks for humoring me by allowing this to be the first podcast in recorded history to begin with quoting a state government resolution in its entirety. Aside from the Red Foley error, I appreciate this summary of the career of Lulu Bell and her musical and matrimonial partner, Scotty Wiseman. But of course, there is much, much more to Lulu Bell's story than can be contained in a mundane government resolution. Lulu Bell needs more of a declaration of independence-like manifesto. This is Wildwood Flower, stories of women who built country music. Today we talk about the complicated, fascinating life of Myrtle Eleanor Lulu Bell Cooper Wiseman. I try to keep these episodes under an hour, and in that spirit, I've divided this one into two parts. So here's part one. Myrtle Eleanor Cooper was born on Christmas Eve 1913 in Boone, North Carolina. 
At the time of her birth, her father John was working in West Virginia on the Ohio River locks, and in the first few years of her life, Myrtle was moved from North Carolina to Indiana, Tennessee, Florida, South Carolina, and Kentucky. Why did they move so much? Myrtle says, Daddy was a great guy, but he wouldn't stay in one place very long. He was a rambler, big ideas. He invented things and never could find anybody to back them. Then he'd pack us all up, take what we could carry, and away we'd go. Of her mother, Sidney Olive Marie Cooper, Myrtle says, My mother knew every song. You'd call them country songs now. Mom knew them, and she sang all the time when she was working around the house. Barbara Allen, things like that. She sang all the time. I remember so well her rolling out a pie crust one time with little brother Pete and me right under her feet. I think that's the way I learned the little rosewood casket and little mohi. At 14, Myrtle and her family moved to Elizabethton, Tennessee, and lying about her age, she got a job in a hosiery mill, working from 7 to 5.30 and making 8.30 a week. Meager as her income was, the Cooper family needed the money. John Cooper sought less sanctioned employment, turning to moonshining to provide for his family. He was arrested and jailed, but escaped from jail in 1929. The family fled together to the anonymity of a big distant city, Chicago. Were things better for the family in Chicago? They might have been if it weren't for the timing. They arrived just in time for the stock market crash. Myrtle says, it was just a lot of poor folks, but not as poor as we were. I don't know where daddy got the money that we lived on. He managed to bring food home every night. Where he got it, I don't know. Myrtle, again, did her part to help. She worked as a maid and as a department store clerk. That is, until the day the department store manager found out she was giving away hunks of chocolate and peanuts to a hungry elderly lady every day. She was fired from the department store, but found a better job at a hotel as a babysitter of guest children, and then an even better job at a five-and-dime store. Her father, John, again, always thinking, inventing, scheming, was listening to the radio and had an idea. He thought his daughter could sing better than anything he was hearing, and took Myrtle to the Chicago radio station WLS to audition. He pestered the right people, I guess, to get a foot in the door, but Myrtle didn't know the first thing about the new technology of microphones. And in the audition, she projected as if she were singing in a chamber of commerce hall. She didn't need to project, and she blew out the ears of the radio technicians. She failed the audition. Undeterred, Myrtle and John revamped their approach and volume and returned two weeks later, and Myrtle was hired for WLS's Smile a While show, for seven fifty per week in 1932. John Lair took interest in Myrtle, scouting her for the National Barn Dance Show. He already had one female star, the still relatively new Linda Parker, who'd been hired just a few months prior. An Indiana girl with a fictional Southern backstory. A sentimental mother figure, demure, sweet. Remember, Lair wanted to pull the station in a more Southern direction aesthetically. He wanted authentic Southerners on the air. Myrtle could be just the thing. But similar to Linda Parker, Lair wanted to make Myrtle barn dance ready by making some tweaks to her stage persona. He sent Myrtle and John to see a popular vaudeville comedian, Elviry Weaver. Hey, don't be doing a little more nose. Swing your partner. 
Of John Lair's intentions of sending her to see Elviry Weaver, Myrtle says, She was feisty. I think that's what he wanted me to do. Well, I know he did. And so I did it insofar as I could. But she was older and knew more about what she was doing. I was young and ignorant. But so far as the costume went, that was from her. What was this costume? Myrtle's mother made her what she called a Mother Hubbard calico dress. A pair of high-laced boots, pantaloons, hair extensions, and a big hair bow. Another one of her trademarks was an ever-present wad of gum that she would only stop chewing in order to sing, sticking the wad of gum to her guitar during a song. She kept up this costume and her gum chewing for her career at the barn dance, where one columnist estimated that she chewed 12 sticks of gum each broadcast, and appearing on 1,546 programs, totaling 18,552 sticks of gum. Lair gave her the name Lulu Bell, which she was fine with, saying she never really liked the name Myrtle anyway. Lulu Bell the character was man-hungry, Lulu Bell was charmingly foolish and funny. Lulu Bell was loud and boisterous. She was almost the opposite of Lair's other southern barn dance character, Linda Parker. Last week we talked a bit about Red Foley. Red Foley was hired by Lair to be a part of Linda Parker's Cumberland Ridge Runners. Lulu Bell's first assignment was to be a part of a breakout act for Red Foley. He played a character named Burhead, and she played his girlfriend from the Southern Mountains. She had followed him to the big city of Chicago, and through this conceit, was able to play the innocent, hapless, gobsmacked migrant, trying to make sense of her new urban environs. Here's one of their early songs, recorded in 1934, High Rinktum Inktum Doodle. Oh, can you court my pretty little miss, my little wildwood flowers? I can court more in a minute and a half than you can. Will you marry me, my pretty little miss? Will you marry me, good looking? I'll marry you, but I'll not do your washing and your cooking. Hi, ring them, ring them, doo doo dummy dum. Hi, ring them, ring them, doo dee. Ring them, ring them, doo doo dummy dum. Hi, ring them, ring them, Lulu Bell's early time with Red Foley allowed her to hone her stage persona to great effect. She won the hearts of her audience and developed a fiercely loyal fan base early on. Unlike Grace Wilson, the good-hearted neighborly contralto, Lulu Bell didn't have an outstanding voice that could soothe the world-weary mind. Unlike Linda Parker, Lulu Bell didn't croon pristine virtue or become known for her comely appearance. No, Lulu Bell wasn't to be admired from a distance. She was a character audience identified with. Lulu Bell was a southern transplant to the north, a migrant. Just like the thousands of migrants who made the same southern to midwest journey and found themselves at odds with, in many ways, the midwestern culture. As Lulu Bell barged and tripped into her new environment, perhaps audience members found a release for their own anxieties as migrants. 
For the multi-generational Midwesterners, perhaps they were able to see their southern migrant neighbors in a different light, while at the same time seeing their own rural culture in relief of the rapidly urbanizing and industrializing West. Here's how the 1935 WLS family album describes Lulu Bell's appeal. Lulu Bell is a good example of the discoveries of talent made here at WLS. She had never been on the radio, was not considered a highly trained singer, and had no theatrical experience. But she had a friendly way with folks, a wholesome laugh. And if a yodel went wrong the first time, she would stop and try it again. We're glad you like Lulu Bell. I've learned a lesson that I won't forget Wherever I may be And oh, how I'm longing for the folks down home Cause they mean more than all the world to me Lulu Bell was becoming known for her mountain music, her comedy, and her novelty songs like Daffy Over Taffy. I'm Daffy, I'm Daffy, I'm Daffy Over Taffy. Daffy, Taffy, Taffy, Daffy do. Something makes me whistle when I've got a fistful. Other songs she recorded with Burhead were I'm Going Out West This Fall. Oh, I'll run away with you. Oh, I'll run away with you. Then get your bonnet, little balmy, my love, and bid your parents say to you. Goodbye, everybody, goodbye. She also recorded a song about a womanizing rap scallion, Little Black Mustache. His pockets, they were lined with gold, and oh, he made a match. With diamond rings and a gold watch chain and a charming black mustache. Oh, the lips, old black mustache, charming black mustache. Oh, you must know how I lost my bow with the charming black mustache. Lulu Bell's ability to win over the audience had its downside, especially for the other barn dance performers. The Cumberland Ridge Runners, in particular, resented how she stole the show through her stage antics. The way the barn dance stage show was set up, all of the performers would be on the stage all the time, sitting on bales of hay, listening to the other performers while they waited their turn. Lulu Bell could not just sit still while Linda Parker and the Cumberland Ridge Runners performed their sentimental ballads. Lulu Bell would go off script in her downtime. She used to have a hope chest, a large wooden box that was traditionally used for a young woman to store things she would use when she gets married. Quilts, silverware, that kind of stuff. I remember you on the barn dance, you had that little wooden box. Oh, well, Mom decided that I should have something to carry around, and she wrote, she painted hope chest on the side of it. Right. And I carried it around, and I had the key to it and a little, on a little chain around, or string, I guess, around my neck, and, and I'd get, go over and sit on the edge of the stage. I carried food in it, grapes and 
bananas and pickles and all kinds of junk in it. And uh, the woman sit on the side of the stage and I'd peel a banana and ask the fellow sitting in front of Pete he'd like a banana and I'd give him a banana or she said I'd rather have some grapes I'd say you want me to peel them for you and I'd sit there and peel them <laughs> peel a grape or two yeah although um, see they made you stay on the stage all the time in those days you couldn't be off backstage wandering around and I didn't know what to do with myself I'd sit there and, and then I'd do something dumb and apparently everybody was watching me with that hook just wondering what was in it and uh, you know, it just the other acts hated it, and but I didn't know. I wasn't trying to grab anybody's act. I didn't know the, the term. I didn't know what it meant. I just did what they told me to do. A funny, subversive use of a domestic symbol, but I can see how that might annoy a ridge runner. She would also blow bubbles with her bubble gum. John Lair said that Lulu Bell just took the show away from Linda Parker, and the Cumberland Ridge Runners resented Lulu Bell for it. Lulu Bell said later, That gang on the barn dance got so they hated my insides. It wasn't just Linda Parker who she upset. As Patsy Montana was on stage auditioning for the barn dance, Lulu Bell was in the audience, throwing peanuts at other audience members. Here's what Patsy graciously had to say about it later. A comedian has to do things when it hits her, whether anybody else is on the stage or not. We've laughed about it since, but that night I thought I was either at the wrong place or I was going to have to learn everything over again. The way I was raised up, when somebody else was entertaining, you didn't. But that was Lulu Bell. Patsy and Lulu Bell became and remained friends throughout their life, though Lulu Bell did recall being envious of the cowgirl performers on the barn dance, mostly in that they didn't have to wear the country rube costume, saying it would have been, quote, more fun to dress up and look nice like they did. It was not only through her onstage persona that Lulu Bell won the hearts of the audience. She also allied herself with the audience against the national barn dance announcer, Big Hal O'Halloran. He would chastise her for her antics to the point where she no longer wanted to be on stage at all. Then O'Halloran would chastise her some more for not being on stage, forcing her back but admonishing her not to open the hope chest. Here's how Lulu Bell tells it. One time I know that Hal, um, I came up to sing a song and Hal said something kind of hateful to me and, and uh, when I got thrown off the stage and cried and when I got home I bawled and Mom said, you don't need to put up with him talking to you like that. You talk back. You tell him. So I got to be a regular smart aleck. You did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't put up with nothing from nobody. In another interview, she says that it came to a point where she could not help but make the audience laugh. She says, If I moved, the audience would laugh, whether it was funny or not. The announcer got very nasty with me, even on the air. Anything he'd say to me, I'd talk right back to him. The audiences loved that, because here's this dumb kid and he's being mean to her, so they took me right under their wing. Lulu Bell could apparently be a divisive figure, with strong opinions on all sides. One strong influential opinion was Eva Overstake, whom we will talk about in the next episode, and who became Red Foley's wife in 1933. Her opinion of Lulu Bell? She did not want her that close to Red. I don't know exactly what she said or how the strings were pulled, but Eva's concern could not be ignored, and the Lulu Bell and Burhead team had to split up. 
Lots of drama at the barn dance, but you wouldn't know it from how the Hayloft gang was presented to listeners. In 1933, WLS put out a publication of what the National Barn Dance stars did at the Chicago World's Fair. Lulu Bell is mentioned in the section introducing the barn dance audience to a novel culinary construction, the hot dog. The title of the piece is How to Eat a Hot Dog Sandwich in Three Illustrated Lessons. You heard that right, a hot dog sandwich. The first picture is of Lulu Bell, holding a massive hot dog in both of her hands, a look of skepticism in her eyes with a caption that says, Having secured the sandwich, says Lulu Bell, than whom there is no more expert hot dog sandwich eater, approach the subject seriously. This is not a matter to be trifled with. Back to the barn dance goings-on. The Lulu Bell and Burrhead team had to split at the request of Eva Overstake. In the last episode, we talked about the need for younger female performers to have some kind of male attachment, either as a family member or as a chaperone. Lulu Bell was becoming a star, both in the live show and on the radio, but she couldn't be a solo act. For her career and for her particular flavor of lascivious comedy as lascivious as one could be on the barn dance, she needed a man. She needed a straight man. The station paired her with new WLS recruit Scotty Wiseman, who had the nickname Skyland Scotty. Scotty, it turns out, was born just about 40 miles from Myrtle Cooper near Asheville, North Carolina. However, they did not meet until they were paired together in Chicago. According to folklorist William E. Lightman, Lulu Bell's first impression of Scotty was that he was stuck up. She says, he had a white shirt on and a necktie and his hair neat. I hadn't seen anybody like that at the barn dance. Despite the first impression, the pair took to each other right away, and the chemistry between the two was believable enough that some fans hated Scotty right away for stealing Lulu Bell away from Red Foley's burrhead. The first song they performed together made the intention of the program directors clear. Madam, I've come to marry you. Madam, I've come to marry you and settle in your town. My whole estate is at your will. It's worth 10,000 pounds. It's worth 10,000 pounds. Well, if you'll give me your whole estate, which you intend to do, I think that is enough for me, and I won't be needing you, and I won't be needing you. The burrhead heads got over it, I guess, and Lulu Bell and Scotty were off and running. Scotty was mild-mannered, shy even, and sincere. Very much a straight man to Lulu Bell's antics. Lulu Bell and Scotty's dynamic has been compared to George Burns and Gracie Allen. Did you, did you have an interesting day today? Oh, yes, I spent most of it in a pet shop. Well, that sounds like fun. It was, but I really didn't intend to go in there. You see, I was passing by, and I saw all these cute little puppies in the stall window, so I knocked on the window to get their attention, but they didn't notice me, so I knocked a little harder. I see. And so while I was in there paying for the window, I thought I'd have a look around. (laughs) Or Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. As Lulu Bell and Scotty the act was taking off, Myrtle Cooper and Scotty Wiseman were falling in love. Lulu Bell was just 19 when she started the barn dance and 21 when she married Scott Wiseman in 1934. 
They kept their marriage a secret as long as they could, for the sake of the act, but the word eventually broke. Here's how Standby Magazine announced their marriage. And now it all comes out. Lulu Bell, the gay deceiver, had sung her When Will I Get Married song at least twice, when she knew the answer better than anyone in the world, except Skyland's secret Scotty Wiseman. You see, Lulu Bell and Scotty had much in common. They both hail from the land of the sky in North Carolina. Both sing old-fashioned mountain tunes, and they started on WLS about the same time. And, after all, is it so strange for WLS people to marry one another? No, friends, it is not. Thirteen other WLS couples have arm-in-armed-it-to-the-altar rail in the past decade. As a couple, Lulu Bell and Scotty continued their mountain comedy-themed act. Here's a song they recorded in 1935, which longtime listeners in this podcast might recognize from episode one on fellow North Carolinian Samantha Bumgarner. The Lulu Bell and Scotty onstage and on-air dynamic worked for the audiences, and the marriage tempered Lulu Bell's onstage presentation in some ways. Most notably, there was a change in the twang of her voice. Of this, Lulu Bell says, I became a little more sophisticated after Scott and I got married. He got me out of that. He made fun of me for singing like that, and he didn't think it was natural. Changes in voice aside, Lulu Bell wasn't tamed by marriage. She still kicked against the pricks of the patriarchal culture of the barn dance. Lulu Bell and Scotty officially announced their marriage on air by also announcing the arrival of their first child. Lulu Bell says, We didn't announce it until later, until our first baby was on the way. Then, when I was about five or six months along, we started to sing a little song called Somebody's Coming to Our House, and the next day, the presents started arriving. The listeners lost their minds over the news, and the barn dance machine certainly appreciated the further domesticating of Lulu Bell, but they didn't make it easy on her. She says, When I was expecting Linda, the way they had me coming on stage was to come running in and fall over a chair. I'd been doing that all the time, falling over chairs. I was doing it when I was pregnant. They finally put a stop to it. They said, you can't have her doing that. But they were letting me do that, and I thought I had to. They named their daughter Linda Lou Wiseman, in tribute partially to the recently departed Linda Parker and after Scotty's sister. The station also kept Lulu Bell and Scotty on a rigorous touring and performing schedule. Lulu Bell says, In the summers we were out there on the road Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and usually Friday, and we come in late on Friday night and do the barn dance and go back out on Sunday. I may have gotten mean or ornery once in a while, having to be away from the baby. That's what really got me, having to be away from Linda. By the mid-1930s, Lulu Bell had a fully devoted fan base, though her popularity was divisive among barn dance listeners. One listener says, Lulu Bell isn't any better singer than lots of others, and she's too silly for words. She has an idea. She's awfully cute. Another one says, you give me a pain in the neck the way you praise Lulu Bell. 
The way you act, you'd think she was the only person on air. How foolish those singers at your station, who know something about singing, must feel when they hear her sing all the time, and forever the mention of her name being praised. In retort, her fans said, Why the heck don't they tune in on some grand opera program and leave us simple folks to enjoy the type of program we appreciate? There are enough trained sopranos and baritones on any of the other stations, singing their classical songs, surely to meet the needs of this class of listener. When a person expresses her dislike of our own Lulu Bell, we wonder just what sort of person she is. What kind of person indeed doesn't like Lulu Bell? This is a good question to end this first part of the Lulu Bell story on Wildwood Flower. Here in the mid-1930s, with Lulu Bell's star nowhere near its peak. If you liked this episode, consider supporting me, mostly just helping me buy books so I can keep doing the necessary research to keep this podcast going. There's a link to how you can do that in the show description. Get in touch with me through Instagram at wildwoodflowerpod or by email at wildwoodflowerpod at gmail if you have any questions or if you just want to say hi. I'd love to hear from you. Artists, if you're inspired to cover Lulu Bell or any of these Wildwood Flower artist songs and would like to have your cover included in a future episode, please get in touch with me through Instagram or email. I'd love to be able to feature your work here. Just a reminder, upcoming this season, we have the Three Little Maids, one of whom is Jenny Lou Carson, who wrote many famous country songs. We have Patsy Montana, the Girls of the Golden West, Louise Massey, whose most famous song is My Adobe Hacienda, the Dezurek Sisters, and of course, Lily Mae Ledford and the Coon Creek Girls. Play around, take the risk, pester your musician friends, let's see what we can come up with. Thanks for listening. Remember to support women in music however you can. Next episode, part two of the Lulu Bell story. See you then. Then I won't have you, my pretty little miss. I won't have you, my sugar. Well, there ain't nobody asked you to, you old redhead.